Hello and welcome to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, I am a high school teacher and also a huge fan of pop culture, and this podcast is dedicated to exploring the Marvel Cinematic Universe through concepts in the humanities. In this episode, this is our home now. I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is Trey and he is one of the co-hosts of the podcast MCU Need to Know. Together, he and I reflect on the first two episodes of WandaVision, which premiered on Disney Plus on January 15th. We discuss the ways in which WandaVision is playing with genre and tone. We dissect some major character moments, and we discuss emerging themes. This episode does include spoilers for both episode one and episode two of WandaVision, and also includes some vague speculation based on Marvel Comics. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review. And you can find me at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Trey and his co-host Jude at MCU Need to Know, also on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a very, very special guest. I've been planning to have him on the show for ages now, and I'm so excited to dig into the first two episodes of WandaVision with him. It's Trey from MCU Need to Know. Hi. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to be here. Um... I was so excited to finally share this. I have finally caught up on all your episodes, and it has affirmed what I've always known, is that this is such a great companion piece to the MCU. So I am just thrilled to be here. Thank you. That means a lot. And if anybody who is listening to this has heard my guest spots on your show, um, <laughs> I think they would know that I, I've equally been a fan of what you and Jude do at MCU Need to Know. And mm-hmm. um, it's just really exciting to, to finally have you on There Was an Idea. So we have collaborated before on Mm -hmm. your podcast, but since this is your first time on my podcast, you, of course, have to answer the standard, there was an idea, getting to know you question, which is to tell us a little bit about your relationship to the MCU. Yeah, of course. Um, So for me, like, I've never really been super into like comics or superheroes. So my gateway to that side of the the pop culture was through the movies. And even then it was kind of just like, um, you know, I'd watch them every now and then, but it wasn't until the MCU sort of solidified around almost this kind of like prime continuity for me mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, you know, this can be my entry point because everything before that always felt like such an intimidating task to get into And with these, it was so much easier for me to like follow along with these stories that were evolving over the years. And it was right around the time I think that Winter Soldier came out that it it finally, it hit me how much I enjoyed these. And I started finding other people who were just as excited as I was. And it just became part of like this culture that I love to to geek out in. Yeah, thanks, Trey. I I relate to that a lot, actually, because I similarly always wanted to get more into comics or like I was always interested in in these worlds and and, you know, being younger when X-Men came out and X2 and and X-Men The Last Stand um, and and, and, uh, the Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about those things. And I always felt like there was another world to dive into when it came to those Mm -hmm. heroes and those characters. But it felt almost like you said, almost kind of intimidating Mm -hmm. to, to figure out, okay, well, what, what is canonical and what, you know, which 
comic timeline is related to this. And part of me still wants to do it and wants to dive into that world more so. But I, I relate to what you said. I think you put it really nicely about how the MCU kind of here is like a nice contained package. <laughs> and of course, it's getting more complex as time goes on. But since mm -hmm. we've kind of been with it all along, it feels much more much more manageable and so exciting. Yeah, like it, it's like your grounding starting point. And I think the thing that I because like like you said, I, wanting to get into the comics now that I now that we're to the point where we actually see characters retire in the MCU, mm -hmm. it's allowed me to explore some of the comics. I've been reading some Captain America comics, which I never would have been able to do before. But because I have a starting point with the MCU, it's allowed me to explore more of that world. So it's it, it's yeah. really exciting. Now, I'm sure listeners would also like to hear a little bit more about your podcast, MCU Need to Know, and I've plugged it a few times here on my show, uh, but now from your voice directly, why don't you tell <laughs> us a little bit about what you and your co-host Jude do on your show and, and a little bit about how the podcast journey has gone for you? Yeah. So it really started out where I knew that I had this this love for the MCU, and I, I I had been wanting to do a podcast. Jude had been wanting to do one too. And as Endgame was coming to a close, and like I know we still had Far From Home, but Endgame really felt like the summation of everything. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to find a way to kind of be able to take part in those conversations for whatever came next after that. And you know, it it, it was a logical step to reach out to Jude and be like, "Hey, we've been texting like nonstop." up to every huge release that they have, I think we have something here if we talk, you know, talk about this and record it and put it out as a show because clearly, uh, you know, we're not the only ones so excited about this. Right. And, you know, it was always at the family gatherings where it, him and I would talk and I just, I felt, I felt a level of excitement with him that I haven't felt anywhere else. So, because like I knew how much it meant to him. Mm -hmm. Um and so we just took that that love of the MCU and started trying to make a weekly show where other people could gather around that too. Um, and and even though we're still under a year of doing this podcast, it kind of feels like we've had different eras because, you know, we started off doing like a Daredevil review. We moved to more like topic-based stuff, uh, kind of just trying to find starting conversation points within the MCU at large. And, you know, now we're kind of working in uh, doing a weekly show a uh, weekly recap show, I should say, for WandaVision. So it's just been a lot of fun to kind of help create a space for other people to get excited uh, with the MCU. Yeah. And, and speaking as both somebody who has collaborated with you now a couple times mm -hmm. and then also somebody who is a fan of your show, I would say that it's been really successful in, you know, I, what I appreciate about what you and you do so much is that you feel that excitement. And, and even, and I know we've talked about this before too, but even if there is something in whichever movie or, or, you know, episode or whatever it may be that you are um, a little bit more critical of that you you're always coming at it from a place of you love this thing, right? And mm -hmm. and that you're excited about it. And, you know, it's not to say that there can never be any, any room mm -hmm. for for criticism. But we've talked about this, too, that sometimes, you know, that kind of conversation can veer into over negativity. And I really appreciate that you guys kind of keep the spirit of, hey, we're here because we we love this franchise. I, I think that you guys capture that really well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, because like you said, you were on with our responsibility of a fandom episode. Uh, I think our mantra uh, that we we try and keep whenever we approach these is that we always lead with the positive. Right. Um, and it, it makes me happy to hear that that's coming through. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's infectious. It's exciting. And uh, <laughs> so we're we're here today to talk about WandaVision, of course, finally. And uh, the first two episodes of that show premiered on Disney Plus last Friday, January 15th. And you and Jude impressively have actually already <laughs> released two episodes of your podcast in which you break each of those episodes of the show down. And it was very difficult for me as a fan, um, but I did refrain from listening to them before chatting with you today. I, I listened to the clips that you posted on Instagram, mm -hmm. but I I kind of went back and forth on it. But ultimately, I landed on the side of not wanting what you guys had talked about to color our conversation mm -hmm. today. Although, as I said, it was a tough decision because part of me was like, well, I kind of want to listen and then just like reply back to everything they're saying. <laughs> well, you know what? Like it, it that's the hard part, I think, about making friends in this space is uh, on the flip side, I've been wanting to reach out to you and like think, hear what you think about the episode. But I knew we were going to be on this podcast. So I was like, OK, I'll save it for her episode so we could just geek out together for the first time. Yes, ex exactly. But I'm, I am excited to, to listen to the two episodes that you guys did after after we record together. And uh, and as I said, very impressive, the turnaround time on that. That was definitely definitely a fun weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I wanted to start with just our general first impressions of the show of WandaVision based mm -hmm. on those two episodes. And I will share mine to start. I genuinely loved the first two episodes of WandaVision. And I love being able to look forward to a new chapter every week from here on out. It's mm -hmm. exciting. And we and we had talked about this too, just like that feeling of like being able to to think ahead to the week to come and like have that, especially because it's it, it's on Friday nights, like just that reward at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. Really looking forward to that. Um, especially after a drought of Marvel content. Now we're we're have an abundance of riches. So, you know, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, pressing play on on that first episode seeing the Marvel Studios opening. And again, it not for the first time in a while, because obviously <laughs> I'm rewatching the movies all the time, but knowing that this time it was about to lead into something new and seeing those minor changes to the Marvel Studios opening itself. And it was just such an exciting feeling. And when for episode one, when the screen went from widescreen into the full screen aspect ratio and the logo was in black and white, I was like, oh my God, this this is real. And every <laughs> moment from from there, um, I was just more and more excited to kind of see what was unfolding. But episode one was really, it was enough to, to hook me on its own. I think it was fantastic. And then episode two just fully blew me away. And, and I'm really glad that we got the two together because as I kind of want to explore a little bit later on, they really do feel of the same piece when it comes to setting up the characters and the themes of the show. So turning it over to you, Trey, what were your first impressions of WandaVision? So for me, I think the thing that I wasn't expecting that it ended up being for me is it's a lot funnier than <laughs> I had any any indication going in, which is weird because humor is at the DNA of the MCU. Mm -hmm. But going into it, like all the trailers and promotional material we saw was like, oh, this is going to be really uh, reality bending and trippy and weird. Right. And I was prepared for that. And it definitely is. But they do such a good job of of bringing humor to this in a way that feels of the era that they're paying homage to. And the jokes are supposed to be cheesy, but they're actually really funny. And so, you know, th that was the thing that I, I walked away from those first two episodes is 
you know, yes, I, I've, I've, I've seen like pushback on like, oh, these are too short or, you know, nothing quote unquote happens. But because things are so committed to the bit, I guess I would say, yeah. we can almost feel that tension ratcheting up within the first two episodes. Because even as committed as they were, you know, we still get peaks of that existential dread. And, you know, I loved it. I just it's. It's it's a feeling of anticipation on top of of kind of like what you were ex you were explaining when you saw the Marvel Studios credit. Like we always have that feeling going into a new MCU thing. Yeah. But here it just feels so much more weighty. I completely agree. And I also, you know, to your point about the humor, these episodes on their own, even if you take out the the promise of something to come, which is mm -hmm. there and is so exciting. They stand alone as like, I think, really funny bits of humorous homage to TV past. Like the mm -hmm. jokes are great. I love them. I mean, the magic show bit in episode two is one of the funniest segments we've ever had on the MCU. It's, it's so mm -hmm. funny. I never knew how much I needed a inebriated vision until oh we God. got to that talent show. It was fantastic. And that that was not on my like my bingo card of what we were going to see <laughs> in WandaVision <laughs> at all. But um, really, really fantastic. And, and even going back to episode one, you know, just the hijinks around the dinner party are, are of course, they did hijinks around a dinner party because that's what you would do in, in that type of sitcom that they are, are paying homage to. And I think they just pulled it off so well. Mm -hmm. Well, especially because with the MCU, we're so conditioned for the stakes to be so high. I mean, we we saw half the world get or half the universe get snapped away in one of the last team up movies. Yeah. And in here, the stakes are so perfectly of the era that it's it can't help but be humorous in in, in a way that I wasn't expecting either. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting insight too. And maybe that's, you know, it seems that generally speaking, the the the, the fandom is reacting uh, quite positively to the show, mm -hmm. and I, I'm I'm sure there is some some critiques and naysaying out there, but uh, maybe this is just what we kind of needed as a collective fandom. Besides, is to come back into the MCU with with something a bit lighter. Although I say that, but at the same time, I think we know that it's it's not really light. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at least those first two episodes, there there were there was a feeling of lightness that was maybe a little unexpected. But you know, kind of on on that topic. I did want to take some time to reflect on on genre and format a little bit. And I've been mm -hmm. working through my thoughts on this over the past couple of days. So I, I want to share what I've been thinking and, and then kind of see 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 what you think as well. Um, but mm -hmm. here's kind of what I'm thinking. So we know that WandaVision represents the MCU's first official conscious, I'll say, steps into the small <laughs> screen because we have the Netflix shows. And it does at this point sound like those could possibly retroactively become canon or be worked into the canon somehow in the future. But regardless, it's like, you know, now we have new MCU content that was consciously created to fit into the cinematic universe, right? And this right. time, you know, for the small screen, so to speak. So I am really excited about how fitting it is that we're seeing in WandaVision, what I kind of keep referring to as this love letter to TV, right? The the mm -hmm. the homage to the styles and tropes of decades past. And to me, not only does that work in a really satisfying way on a meta level, 
which I always love. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it also brings up some really fascinating questions about the connections between the medium that's being used and then the underlying meaning. So meaning that is. Um, so sitcoms have since the 1950s very much been both products of their time periods and also tone setters for the larger culture, right? So mm -hmm. um, you have these heightened visions, uh, pun intended, <laughs> of, <laughs> of the real world. And, and then also these images that would influence societal norms surrounding things like suburban living, right? What it means to be a neighbor in these environments, uh, gender roles, family dynamics, and all of these things we're seeing in WandaVision, right? So mm -hmm. it makes me think about how what we've always seen on screen, right, is both shaped by and simultaneously shapes reality. And I think the show is placing itself in that larger context of television history and playing with those ideas to comment on the ways in which Wanda is interacting with her own reality, right? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite lines so far is in, is in episode two when Vision says, tonight we will lie to you and yet you will believe our little deceptions, <laughs> right? It, it feels right. meta in that moment. And it also feels very much of the low stakes of doing a magic show, right? So simultaneously, mm -hmm. it, it's operating in both, which I really appreciate. So, you know, the, I guess the, the last kind of thought I have connected to that is WandaVision is obviously not the first show or movie to comment on the dark underbelly of the ideal suburban landscape. And Pleasantville comes to mind. And I, I know from your clip that you posted <laughs> that Jude had mentioned that on your show. Mm -hmm. There's a more re recent movie that I've seen. It's called Vivarium. Have you heard of this? I have not. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I know I haven't seen it. I think it came out in 2020. It has Jesse Eisenberg in it. It has a really, really dark spin on this idea of a couple who wants a perfect home, right? And they mm -hmm. kind of go through the motions of what it means to have a, a perfect life. And again, that movie is very dark. And I, I don't think WandaVision is going to go as dark as all that, but I couldn't help but kind of um, think about these other these other films and shows that I've seen that kind of play with this idea um, because there is an eeriness to WandaVision, as you said, there's something unsettling and there's a couple mm -hmm. scenes that specifically do come to mind that I, I, I think we'll probably bring up later. But I guess all of this is to say that it does make me wonder, right, what clues about the story and the characters are hidden within these genre decisions, Mm -hmm. And I'm curious um, for you, Trey, like what were some of the genre moments or tropes that stood out to you from the first two episodes? And just in general, kind of what are your, what are your thoughts on what's going on with um, the format and, and playing with those those tropes, so to speak? So to answer the second question first, the thing that I think I love so much about the format is because it is layering itself. And like you said, this homage to TV. We've clearly seen that it's it's centered around some of the trauma that Wanda has experienced throughout the MCU and mm -hmm. even before we really see her character. And I think the thing that's brilliant about that is for two reasons. One, it, because they're using estab established tropes of television, people don't have to know every intricate detail of what Wanda's been through to be able to contrast what the trope is versus how unsettling it is. So we're already mm -hmm. getting a viewer deeper into something uh, that's bothering her. 
But on top of that, I know like on a personal level, I relate to this so much because I'm a person that has used TV and pop culture to kind of help process my own emotions whenever it, it comes to anything that I deal with in life. Yeah. And so because it's that love letter to TV, it, it, it almost feels like, you know, I'm sure the people that were working on this show, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure there is a level of inspiration for seeing TV through the decades help shape them into the career that they're in writing for this show and, and being the creatives for the show. And so I think they're marrying that love of TV to, you know, the things that Wanda is facing. And I, I really appreciate it. Like I connect to that on a certain level that I, I, I love about it. Now, as far as like the standout genre moment, I think the thing that I, I really keep coming back to is honestly in that first episode, you know, it, 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 whenever the boss comes over for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it already. It, it's so that is like that is a typical storyline you would have seen during that era. And it's so perfect in that a lot of sitcoms, I feel like it's always it comes down to the protagonists aren't aren't able to tell the truth for whatever reason. There's some like small miscommunication that gets out of hand and it just forces more and more crazier results. Right. And so that, that moments where it really felt like they were utilizing it to, to its fullest, because again, going back to, um, as, as heavy as it felt like we didn't want Wanda's secret to be exposed. it, It almost feels safe in a way because we know the stakes aren't high yet. Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking too now about the um the the bit <laughs> about vi- you know where vision works right. I think it just says mm-hmm. computational services on the side of the building, <laughs> and and that kind of bit of like what exactly do we do here? And that also mm-hmm. feels like such a classic kind of sitcom thing, right? Where okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, this guy works for this company, and there's numbers involved, and there's you know, computer things involved, right? And it, it's like what well, what do they actually do? And it's, so it's like they're kind of confronting that head on right and having Mm -hmm. him ask what do we do here but of course it plays on another level as well because for us we're wondering well what does vision know and what does vision not know and is vision real (laughs) is vision alive (laughs) right so um these questions of what do we do here work as this both like kind of micro level of this joke about his job Mm -hmm. in the sitcom world but then also in this uh more macro level of yeah, what is he doing here, right? What are what are any of them doing here? It's so perfect, too, because on the surface level, it has that feeling of, you know, I'm a business person doing business. Like, it almost feels like a kid's <laughs> version of what, like, adult life is. Yeah. But because we, as the audience, know the meta question of Vision's existence, it's, yeah, like you said, it's fun that they get to play with those tropes that way. Yeah, definitely. And there's there's so many little things that they're playing with. I mean, obviously the black and white and the laugh track, um, the hijinks in the kitchen and the singing and and uh, we'll talk a little bit more later about the neighbor Agnes and how like she's got so many jokes about her husband. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, again, feels very much of that era of sitcom. But then there's also the part of me that's like, maybe those aren't throwaway lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're playing with the the commercials, right? The fading out and the commercials. And I, certainly, I don't think that the commercials are throwaway. I, I think that those are definitely put in there to, to speak to or hint to something larger going on with the story. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. It, 
it feels like because much like how marketing works on a subconscious level, they're they're even using that to kind of expose subconscious truths. I think about mm. things that we know Wanda has faced in the past, uh, because I mean, the first one with the toaster and Stark Industries, um, kind of that ticking time bomb feel that they had for it. Yes, we know we know that her family, um, you know, her parents died at the hands of Stark weapons. So it's that layer. Oh, how do I want to phrase this? It's like it's like as much as they're using what you said about the decades mm-hmm. as a way to show the different realities, they're even going further with even commercials being another layer of this. It's almost like we get to explore Wanda's psyche through television. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And I, I, I think I, I like what you said too about it being subconscious, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because of course, yeah, that's what commercials are are, are meant for, right? They're they're meant to. Uh, to your point earlier too about characters not being able to tell the truth, right? Commercials are there to to sell us a, a lie or to sell us a, a vision, right? To sell us an illusion. Yeah. And um, yeah, I definitely found that that interesting that we see Stark and Strucker both being part of the commercials. And and we'll get to to theories a little bit later on about uh, what, what your take is exactly on like if someone else is constructing this world and Wanda mm-hmm. is part of it or if Wanda is constructing it herself. But I, I think either way that it's definitely no coincidence that those would be the things that are going on in her subconscious, as you said. Mm-hmm. So now might be a good time to to kind of dig into the characters themselves a bit more and um, just any kind of observations that you have about how the characters may be similar or different to what we've seen in the MCU before of of them. So particularly starting with Wanda, like like how is what we're seeing of Wanda here similar uh, and or different to the Wanda we knew previously? So starting with something that I feel like is similar between the Wanda we knew and the Wanda that we're seeing is, you know, oftentimes I forget that Wanda started off as kind of a pseudo villain uh, in Age of Ultron. You know, mm-hmm. she was she was obviously misguided by Ultron and came around to to the hero side of the journey, but she started on that side. And a moment that I kept coming back to was in that beginning of Age of Ultron, you know, we see her, um, you know, play her trick on Tony's mind. And in doing so, she gets a glimpse of Tony's idea of the future, the thing that he was worried about. And for a brief moment on her face, we can see that she grew concerned too. Yeah. And so again, she she doesn't have that character change until later on in the movie, but it shows that even in those moments where maybe she's not acting in the the hero side of things, she's still capable of that self-reflection. And the way that kind of tied into WandaVision is, you know, everything feels like this idealized version of what Wanda wants except for the moments where the existential dread comes in. And so yeah. there was this scene at the uh, the dinner table where their Mr. Hart, the boss, was choking. And in that moment, it felt like the reality broke. And we saw that despite it going in contrast to what seemingly Wanda wants, she was able to break the reality to save Mr. Hart because that's the right thing to do. And so, you know, I, I know we'll get to theories later whether or not this is something she's doing it feels like there's this through line between Age of Ultron to this moment where, you know, she still is capable of making the right decision. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. That gives me something to chew on. That's really interesting, Trey. Thank you. Mm. I <laughs> That moment at the dinner table, I think, is really 
really important. And I think as we see more episodes of the show, I think we're going to understand more and more about its significance, um, Mm -hmm. no matter which way this story kind of unfolds. But yeah, I mean, what a what a powerful moment to see the Mrs. Hart character, her face when she's saying, stop it, stop it. And she kind of like the camera looks at her face and it looks like she's looking at Wanda and then you see Wanda's face and really, really eerie. Um, There's there's a captive feel to it that for a brief moment, like that's the the existential dread. The show is so great at conjuring. Yeah. And of course, that moment when he starts choking, it happens right after they the the couple started interrogating them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. why are you here? What are some of the questions that they ask them? Like, when did you get married? Right. Like, why don't you have kids? Like these types of questions that it feels like Wanda, in her mind, wouldn't have answers to yet. Right. Because mm-hmm. we know that she is very confused, right? Uh, that they don't remember what day it is, right? Or why it's important. And that <laughs> there's that sense of they don't know how they got there, right? Right. Well, it, it's like, because we know what happened in Infinity War, where we saw Vision and, and Wanda were on the cusp of starting a relationship. Like, they had they had their moments together. They talked about stealing away moments. But Vision was in the middle of stammering his way through, like, Hey, I want to do this longer than the this time that we had together. Right. And then of then of course he gets attacked. So they never had their moments together. They never got to f- fill out these details, so to speak. And so that's why it feels like it's missing. And it's in contrast to this idealized vision, uh, to right. borrow your pun. Uh, <laughs> idealized vision that never got to happen. Yeah. I also think it's interesting in that scene too, how it's Wanda who is able to say vision help him and right. And like, then mm-hmm. there it's almost as if vision, I, I can't tell, like it, it seems like he's not acting of his own accord, right? It's like, she's telling him what to do. And so he's doing it. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I think that scene is hinting a lot uh, at what we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This show is so ripe for, you know, you view it one time. And then you come back with all the pieces and it's going to have an entirely different context. And I'm so excited for that missing piece. Definitely. I completely agree. Before we talk a little bit more about Vision, are there any other Wanda moments that stick out to you as being um, particularly salient for her character and where her character may be be going? Both, uh, you know, now I'm thinking too, like, you were uh, making that connection to the Wanda of the past in what we're seeing here. And that reminds me too of, of we were talking about the commercials before and what, what's the tagline for the toaster. It's uh, forget your past. This is the future or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff, man. Um, I know. Right. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, any other Wanda moments that really stood out to you? It, it feels like the obvious one, but it's so impactful that I couldn't help, but go with it as a moment that stuck out for me. But it was in episode two, where, you know, we have that dreadful scene where the beekeeper comes from the sewer. Oh, my God. And both Vision and Wanda get really creeped out, rightfully so. And then Wanda shifts and very quietly but firmly just says no. Yeah. And everything resets. And so I, I, the thing I think I love about that moment so much is, is without a doubt, Wanda is among the most powerful heroes in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh based on what she was able to do to Thanos alone in Endgame. So we know she's capable of it. And the reason that that feels so standout-ish to me is to see where she's where she started 
you know, versus having to have that pep talk with Hawkeye about like, hey, if you step outside that door, you're an Avenger to, again, I know it's a little bit of speculation. If this is something that she's capable of conjuring, that is such a huge power difference from where she started. And so that moment sticks out because I feel like that's going to be the much like the dinner table scene. That's going to be a moment that we look back to after all is said and done to 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 reflect on of how powerful of a character she is. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, what an interesting contrast between that moment in which she firmly says no, none of the I'm in a sitcom intonation in her voice, right? <laughs> like, and, and I mean, Elizabeth Olsen plays it so well. I I, I just have to say, I, I love what she does when she's putting mm-hmm. on that 50s, 60s voice and, and the, the act. I think her physical comedy is great. I had no idea she was that funny. Um, I know. She, like, Paul Bettany is the reason I think this is working short term. Elizabeth Olsen is why this is going to break our hearts by the end, because yeah. she can flip between, like you said, the the cheesy 50s style sitcom to so serious on a dime. And and that's impressive. It's powerful. Yeah. And she's she's given us both. She's giving us the this is funny. And she's giving us the oh, my God, this is unsettling. Um, and, and of course, Paul Bettany as well. Oh, my gosh. So funny. <laughs> Again, the magic show scene. I I. I couldn't believe it, like just how well like he did that. I it clearly I think he was looking to Dick Van Dyke and, and actors like mm-hmm. that, and he just nailed it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um it feels like an avenue for him to to flex his muscles in a way that he's never been had never been able to in the previous, given the stoicism of, of vision. Yes, yes, exactly. The moody, not human character, <laughs> right? Who now all of a sudden gets to play to um all of these very human emotions. Um and of course the the humor of like, I most certainly am not, you know, a computer and <laughs> Norm's a communist. Uh, <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> Um, I like how nobody around him is acknowledging that he is British, whereas he does bring up his wife being from Europe and the Sokovian bit in um, the first episode. But it's interesting, I think, that like he has this accent and it doesn't seem like anybody's paid any attention to it. But well, yeah, I never really thought about that to now, because obviously they've been playing with that, that like, oh, you know, Wanda's Sokovian. She's not from here. Yeah. But. It's clear as day with his accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you've given me something to think about now. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. But yeah, I think I think I, I just got excited to talk more about Vision. But the 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 no moment with Wanda also mm-hmm. contrasts very nicely with how how hard she is trying to fit in and fit into the mold, especially earlier on in that episode, in episode two, when she is at the committee meeting and she's looking to Dottie, right, for cl- like for cues of how to act, right, how to behave, mm-hmm. how to, you know, uh, stir her drink, right? And then she's clapping at the wrong moment and these things and she's trying so hard and she's putting on this act. Yeah, again, you know, going back to that theme of like, we're lying to you, right? We're about to lie to you. And what does Vision say about the charade? Like, do you really think the audience is going to believe this charade and everything like that? But anyhow, there's a lot going on with Wanda, obviously. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. I could, maybe I could just be myself, more or less, right? And and, and Agnes just laughs in her face, right? Mm-hmm. So I... I t- oh, well, even, like, if, if we step out into this idea that, like, let's just say it is a conjuring of of Wanda's approximation of what a perfect life is. You know, jury's out on Agnes, but imagine like if if it this is purely Wanda, what that says about her is like, hey, let me just be myself. And then the reality is like, 
no, don't do that. Don't be yourself. Yeah. And it shows such a, a conflicting nature within within Wanda. And I love it. I love that sort of angle that that brings to this being, you know, is it real or is it not? Mm hmm. So there's a lot there's a lot going on with Wanda, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, just again, has so many great lines like, if only you all knew our secret, right? Like, it's just again, yeah. they're, I, they're just playing so well with these little bits that are for the the, the, the mini story, the, the micro story, right? Mm-hmm. About the magic show or whatever it may be. And then it's connected to something so much larger. But what about vision? So so do you have any observations that you want to share uh, regarding What's going on with him, right? Is this really Vision? Right. <laughs> is this how Wanda views Vision? Is this her mm-hmm. ideal of Vision? Um, or do we have any clues related to that? And and what do you think? So going into it, I, I really felt like Vision is, was or Vision was a conjuring of Wanda. But something that I've been wrestling with is we've seen plenty of scenes with Vision at this point outside the context of Wanda. Yes. So, you know, he had the moment when he was at his job and, you know, he was trying to fit in there or where he was trying to fit in with the uh, the the neighborhood watch at the library. So I don't know, like I, I keep going back and forth with whether or not he's real. But I think the thing, well, I think it's playing against like the audience's expectation. Like I think, you know, maybe speaking a little bit for everybody, I think we want him to be back because he's been such a great character in the MCU. Yeah. And so we're looking for details for that to be the case. But at the same time, you know, thinking about ways that he's different from the way we knew him, it's just like, he's so much more emotive than he's ever been. You know, he's showing emotions, he's showing fear and embarrassment. And yeah. it's such a contrast to the vision that we know. And it could be the natural evolution of him that he was already on track for uh, because Tony mentions to Bruce in Infinity War, he's like, you know, he's different. He's evolving now. So right, it, right. it could be the continuation of that, but there's just, he's not the stoic character that he used to be. And I think if we kind of look at it in the context of Wanda and Vision being sort of this, you know, this relationship, it feels like there would be this level of trust where vision could just be himself. But so far, all we've seen so far is that everything is an act. And so that that's where I keep coming back to. Like, I don't think it's, it's really him. Yeah. I think you captured that really well, that, um, <laughs> that, that combination of both, like, I think the hope that we have as fans, I, I share that, that sentiment of wanting vision to be back and wanting to be real and wanting to have seen, you know, over the course of the movies, we did see him wanting to see him continue on that journey on that journey of embracing humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. As, as a character who has such a unique position in being able to both experience some of what it means to be human and then also be an outsider to what that experience is. And we're, I'm excited because we are getting more of that in a very comedic way in this in this show. Mm-hmm. But of course, I think that that's going to also become something that's not so funny after a while, uh, intentionally so. <laughs> not that we get tired of it, but that like it's going to have to grapple with that with whether or not he is is here to stay or um how much of this is him versus her her version of him or or someone mm-hmm. else's version of him. Or even going back to to the talent show, like there's a level of showmanship that again going back to this idea of how stoic he is i can't imagine vision ever being like hey you want to see me pull a hat through my body like there's a (laughs) there's a level there's a level of 
I don't know if disrespect is the right word, but definitely not respecting the responsibility of the power that we know Vision does because of the conversation that he's had in Civil War. Right. So that's just another layer to it. I I think that it doesn't feel like him. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Like um, careless almost, right? Like this careless using of his powers. And yeah, very interesting. I mean, you know, could also blame that on the intoxication (laughs) from the gum. But true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But again, who would have who would have put that on their prediction list? Now, now we need a scene of Thor, Steve and Vision drinking because we all know that like because Thor and Cap already got to drink a little bit at the Avengers party. Just just throw a little bit of Vision in that mix. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Well, we've (laughs) talked before. You know, I would love to see the the movie of them just hanging out as friends. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that definitely sounds like a scene that would work really well in there. Gosh, he's just so funny with the flourish. Oh, I know. (laughs) <laughs> or even like even when because he's on the stage now i'm just gushing about paul bettany's performance you know when he's on the stage he's clearly inebriated and he's selling it really well but then the moment they go back and they're done with the show and he's just like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> like the way he just like it I, I i guess it's again it's just the contrast to what we know that makes it so special yeah. because this is a a, a a level of paul bettany's charisma we've never get, gotten to see before I completely agree. And the two of them, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, are clearly shining as as mm-hmm. Wanda and Vision in this show. But, you know, there are a couple of other characters here, too. So I, I do know, again, that you guys spoke a bit about Catherine Hahn as Agnes mm-hmm. on your show, MC, you need to know. So I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the conversation that you and Jude had about that character and what you're thinking about, about her. Uh, to put it you know, I think Jude put it perfectly. So I'm going to, I'm going to play off this a little bit. You know, he mentioned Catherine, Catherine, well, yeah, Catherine Hahn, but Agnes has agency mm-hmm. in a world where we see so many people go along with, uh, for lack of a better word, the programming of whatever is making this happening. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's emboldened by how great Catherine Hahn is because every time she comes on to the scene, she is a scene stealer. Like she immediately is comes in and changes direction of whatever's happening. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that every time there's a hiccup in the quote unquote plot, I mean, we can, we can go on to the meta level, a hiccup in the plot of the episode, she's there to be the solve. Yes. And so it shows that, you know, she has a level of, or she has stakes in making sure this goes without a, without a hitch. And I think Catherine Hahn is doing a wonderful job of portraying that feeling to the show. Yeah, she's dynamic. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and you know, again, again, we just spoke about how Liz Olsen and Paul Bettany are extremely dynamic. So the fact that as yet another performer on this show that she is stealing the scenes in which she is really, I think, speaks a lot to who she is as, a, as an actress. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this character is fascinating. And I, you know, again, like you, Trey, I don't have a ton of comics knowledge. Uh And I know that Jude does more so. So I don't know if he brought up some of the connections. But I am reading that this character is is probably somebody from the comics or at least inspired by somebody from the comics. Mm -hmm. How how much of that are you um, in touch with? 
So I'm familiar with it enough because Jude has shared some uh, speculation on who he thought uh, she might be. Okay. Uh, and of course, I, I spent a lot of time in the Marvel Studios subreddit, and I, I've seen some speculation there too. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know enough to know where they could potentially go. I just know she is important in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sense that I'm getting as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, like you said, there's, if we wanted to to really get into hints and clues and things like this, I think that her popping up in those moments that you speak of, those moments in which something maybe is not quite right, and, or she's going to kind of steer us back on course, I think are important, right? She shows mm-hmm. up after after Wanda sees the the toy helicopter, right? And we we can right. see the red and, and and yellow. And then all of a sudden Agnes is there, right? I gotta mm-hmm. feel like that's important somehow. And especially because the way that Wanda's holding it and the way Agnes arrives on the scene, there's no way she didn't see that. Yeah. And but it's never like she never really, you know, you know, she doesn't question it. She goes along with it. And in fact, she arrives with a bunny, a pet bunny for Wanda's uh, you know, performance at the talent show. And at first, Wanda's confused about it. She's like, oh, yeah, right. And so Wanda takes the bunny and goes inside. But it's almost like Agnes knew what she needed before she even needed it. Yeah. Much like with the having a five-course meal ready at home. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She She's there to help. It seems like she's there in moments where she needs to kind of help Wanda sell the lie, right? Set the scene, right. so to speak, yeah. right? And something that, because I, I, I rewatched this again last night, something that I I was getting this feeling after having some talks with Jude just texting back and forth, you know, in that scene where she first arrives with all the supplies and the, uh, the cookingware, you know, she drops that pot, which kind of sparks like that uh, Mrs. Hart wanting to go and help. That's right. Um, yeah. I don't know if maybe I'm reading too much into it, but she... It felt like she purposely dropped it, like the way she just kind of like tosses it to the side. Mm. So not only does it feel like she has stake in making sure everything goes without goes off without a hitch, she it's like she's trying to create chaos maybe for the, the embetterment of the lie because yeah. the way that dinner seat plays out, you know, they end with Wanda now having details to things she didn't have a detail for. And so... That might be a stretch, but it's something to also, I think, keep an eye on as the series progresses on Agnes. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. So I'm going to make a a transition that will be recognizable to other fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Um, But speaking of bunnies, um, the character of Dottie, (laughs) portrayed by Emma Caulfield, whose character Anya on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's an ongoing joke about her fear of bunny rabbits. So, um, so it was delightful to, to kind of see, to, to see both her and this rabbit juxtaposed in this episode of the show. She is, uh, interestingly, her character Anya on Buffy, there are aspects of her story and her relationship to what it means to be human, that Mm -hmm. seeing Vision's story play out, a lot of it, it reminds me of, of, uh, the the two stories remind me of each other, especially because her character Anya is also a lot of times as the series Buffy progresses, very comedic and used as comedic relief. Of course, there's also writing by Joss Whedon involved in both of these characters um, (laughs) in Vision's early days in Age of Ultron. So anyway, all of that aside, uh, Dottie is an interesting character. What do you make of her? What do you make of the scene with the radio and how you know she 
looks at Wanda and says, who are you? What were you thinking about all that? So just to step back a little bit, yeah. this might disappoint you a little bit. My <laughs> only knowledge of Buffy actually comes from the original Xbox video game. Like they had one that I played and that was as far as I ever got into the show. Oh, wow. But, but I appreciate you bringing the the bunny connection because, you know, when you asked me about what I was thinking about Dottie, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Agnes was prepping Wanda on Dottie uh, on like, hey, if you can get in, you know, she's the key to everything. If you can get mm -hmm. a good in with her, everything will go smoothly. And so as of right now, they've been really conditioning us for Agnes being this helpful, likable character. And they're setting up Dottie as this kind of, you know, really rigid and, and, and kind of, you know, turning her nose up at Wanda. Yeah. But if my feeling of, of Agnes is not to be trusted, it almost feels like Dottie's going to be this character that they condition us not to like. But I think she has she's going to have more importance than we realize. And specifically, uh, bringing it back to the radio scene, there seems to be a pattern where people who can potentially affect the reality are the ones in most danger. So yeah. I have a suspicion that Mr. Hart might be it because he was trying, he was so hard, he was trying so hard to interrogate Wanda on the, the, what the details are, you know, he gets quote unquote punished by choking. You right. Know, and, a, and as soon as that moment happens, he gets turned away. You know, he's, he's back on his program, so to speak. So he leaves the house and coming back to Dottie, you know, she straight up tells her, I'm onto you and vision. I don't trust you or I don't believe you. And then we see the existential dread creep in, the voice on the radio, mm -hmm. and Dottie breaks the glass and her hands shows the color red because of the blood. Right. And same thing again. Right after that happens, she she has that that uh, the line about like, pop quiz, how do you get blood out of linen? You do it yourself and then walks away. So, yeah, so jarring. Yeah. So it's like, I think the way that I, I put it to to Jude, uh, to almost bring it into video game terms, it feels like a lot of the extra characters are almost NPCs, like non-playable characters. And the mm. moment they step out of line, the reality, whoever's controlling it, the reality slaps them back into place. And so the fact that Dottie, I believe, can break out of line is a signifier for how much importance she has. Cool. Really cool analogy. That's really interesting. I'm going to be thinking about that moving forward. <laughs> In terms of characters, other characters uh, who seem to have a significance, like you said, we're going to be watching Agnes. We're going to be watching Dottie. They clearly have uh, an importance here. And we, of course, also meet, quote unquote, Geraldine, who... Mm -hmm. As much as I haven't delved too far into the the fan uh, talk and speculation online, this is the actress who is playing Monica Rambeau. So obviously we're kind of making the connection that this Geraldine character is not really Geraldine, that she is Monica Rambeau. Mm -hmm. So uh, her introduction, I think, is really interesting, um, thinking about how she kind of hesitates before she says what her name is and how she says, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And she kind of shares that connection with Wanda. What did you make of her? So, you know, you hit the nail perfectly when you said how she hesitated to, you know, say her name there. There's a level of fear in her that I don't think we've seen from anyone mm -hmm. other than. Dottie, uh, you know, in a, a coming scene where she has the the where she questions Wanda and then hears the radio. But specifically with with Geraldine, 
it's such a brief hesitation that you can almost feel my speculation, the quote unquote real person behind the facade. And then they are are able to get with the program, so to speak. Yeah. And that's how they came up with the name Geraldine. But another line that I think stuck out to me a lot was she whispers to Wanda. She goes, you know, the only reason I haven't said anything is because I'm honestly so afraid to move. Yeah. And that's a line that sounds benign. Like it sounds like just being nervous in a group meeting. But um, what, what was I going to relate? Have you ever seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street? I or have. Wolf on Wall Street. Yes. Do you remember that? This might be kind of spoilers. So I keep it vague. Uh, if you're okay with with talking about another movie. Oh, I mean. sure. Yeah. Okay, so just vague spoilers. There's a scene where the main character, um, you know, has a night out in the town where he's taking drugs and doing this and that. And, you know, everything feels like it goes off perfectly. And then right at the end of that scene, it basically replays everything. But from the real perspective where right. he was driving crazily and like he was totally not sober and everything was going wrong. Right. It almost feels like that moment where we see Geraldine say, like, I'm afraid to move. You know, that's the 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 perfect idea version that we saw but if we somehow get to rewind back to this moment in reality i almost feel like that's sort of a cry for help like that's a vibe i picked up from it yeah and i think she plays it well too um Mm -hmm. there's something you know obviously that she hasn't had much screen time yet but there's something to that actor's performance as well that Mm -hmm. i feel like she's she's hitting that well I i was also looking for connections between how she was playing this character who both is and is not Monica Rambeau and uh-huh. connections to how the the young girl plays that character in Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. And maybe I'm just making it up, but I feel like there's a connection. I feel like she probably looked at how that little girl acted and that there were, I feel like there were pieces of of that in her performance here, just like mm-hmm. a, maybe the, the hesitance in the way she was speaking. And, and maybe it's just because this character does seem lost and, and scared. And of course, when we meet Monica Rambeau and Captain Marvel, she's a little kid. So, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be curious to see how, how that character develops too. Well, to tie it in, like there are, you know, with Monica Rambeau that we see in Captain Marvel, there is almost this inquisitive nature that, I mean, just that's just like a common trait of children. Yeah. And she definitely had that. And in here in WandaVision, you know, you can almost see a, that same similar, you know, inquisitive feeling where at the end of the talent show, she turns to Vision and Wanda. She's like, man, how did you do that? Like, yeah. you know, one minute I was in the back and then the next thing I know I was in in, in the, the cupboard. And so I can I can feel that that connection of excitement because again if the the monica rambeau connection we've only seen her as the child right um and i i wouldn't i'm i wouldn't put it past what you said about how taking inspiration from what we've already seen so far from captain marvel the only other character moment that i that really sticks out to me all the times that i've rewatched it is again going back to when agnes arrived with the bunny and wanda goes inside to put it away we linger with Agnes in a way that we haven't seen. Yes. In in any of the other episodes. And the mailman passes by and she does the pew pew. And he's like, don't shoot me. I'm the messenger. I, yes. I don't ha- like there's not enough to go on, at least for me, to be able to say too much. But I do think that's also in the vein of the Geraldine scene where it's like, I'm too scared to move. I think it's a lot darker than we're giving it credit for. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that struck me as well. It struck me both in kind of related to what you were saying about vision earlier, which is that we do see scenes 
of Vision and his interactions outside of Wanda, right? So that idea of like, is Wanda crafting everything? Well, I don't know exactly where that's going to go. But again, we do see these scenes that make it feel like, okay, Vision's going about his life um, without her there. And in that moment, too, um, that's the only time I think that we get Agnes without being in interaction, right, Mm -hmm. with Wanda. So I thought that that was really interesting. And I I felt like it had to be meaningful that, like, why are we hanging out for an extra 30 seconds or whatever it is with her (laughs) and the mailman, right? But I think the mailman is important as just one of these other people who is part of this landscape. And and you brought up agency before, right? He doesn't seem like he's got agency, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just the messenger, right? So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to look out for more moments like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the most insightful moments I think we're going to see is moments they give us outside the context of Wanda. Yeah. Just to clarify a little bit, not because like I love everything they're doing with Wanda, but whenever you take away her element of it, you can you can get clues to what's happening if this is her psyche is, is just to clarify that a little bit. Right. I, I feel like I picked up on what you were saying, but thank you for clarifying <laughs> anyway. Um, we don't want anybody to take out of context and make it sound like you're not into, into the, the Wanda moments. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the show is called WandaVision, but anything that's got Wanda in it, cut it out. <laughs> it would be an even shorter show than it is. <laughs> Very short. Because man, those credits are long. I know. <laughs> well, maybe maybe on uh, related to that topic of the credits. Besides, I wanted to to kind of move us into a a segment called "Is this really happening?" and, and talk a little bit about some of the theories. So there seem to be a lot of speculating and theorizing going on in the MCU circles of social media. And I have definitely seen, you know, some some headlines and tweets and things like that. But I'll be honest that I have not dug in too much into that side of things. And I was just kind of curious, you know, the extent to which you are aware of some of those uh, ideas or theories going around. Are there any that you feel particularly strong about, um, either that you've kind of come up with on your own, or or Jude, or perhaps that you've read elsewhere? So I've definitely have seen a lot of the speculations of what the or who the orchestrator is of everything overall. Yeah. Um, I'll keep it vague in that sense that like I don't just I need it to contrast like I've seen a lot of speculation about a character named Mephisto yes I've seen some of that too and as far as I know there he's kind of like a a a devil-like character in the universe right and we've seen so many allusions to the the devil in this you know the color red or devils in the details stuff like that Mm -hmm. all that to say I personally don't know if I believe that's the route they're going anymore just because everything feels so on the nose that it's got to be a red herring. Yeah, um, red, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe I'm, I'm uh, going right into it. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm subscribing to that anymore. But what I do know I'm sure of is given how we have seen some of the characters in the quote-unquote WandaVision show uh, be a part of the the commitment to the bit we've also seen characters that are able to step outside of it so going into this i really thought it was going to be a pure fabrication of wanda's doing but i think unintentionally she has taken over like a little corner of a neighborhood or something and that these are real people with real stakes and whether or not you know she is conscious of what she's doing 
I really feel like at the center of it, she this is maybe almost in a way where somebody where it started off innocent and now it's just gotten so out of hand that there's no way to come out of it. And that's how we're seeing this reality defend itself and go layers and layers deeper as we progress so far. I think that's interesting. I just got I just got to thoughts of inception when you said that. Well, even look at like the because again, I was texting Jude uh, yesterday and we kind of got onto the subject like the house changes from episode one to episode two. So far, we're seeing like episode one, the the big problem was they didn't have details to their story. So their solution by the end of the episode is, hey, now we have cr- concrete details of our story. Second episode, you know, we have that that bit where somebody's knocking at the window. Turns out it's just the tree, but I don't think it's going to be the case because the next morning we see that there is the the helicopter that right. in, that brings color to their world. Right. And what's the solution by the end of the episode? Now everything's in color. And so it's almost like this this reality is going deeper and deeper to protect itself. And I think there's almost this sort of visual representation of the way the first house was a one-story house, second house now there are two stories up, and right. somebody was trying to get in through the window. Yeah, that's really insightful stuff. That second story, that's really, I think that's significant layering, like you said. It's a marriage of form and storytelling that's so right. good about this show. That's exactly it. And that's what I'm so excited about. You know, it's interesting uh, thinking about the comic book stuff, how sometimes like the, who the characters are in the comics feels spoilery. And then there's other times where it's like, well, they've done such like they've gone in such different directions before in terms of other stories within the MCU that have gone so far away from what the comic stories were. Mm-hmm. And then there have been other places where they have stuck more closely to the comics. So you kind of never know what you're going to get. Well, Cause even like, I mean, look to Captain Marvel, like everything going into it. Right. Um, uh, as problematic as it might be, the, the scrolls were always a whole race of, of like villainous characters. Right. And they played with that expectation by showing like, no, you know, here, here's Talos and his section of, of scrolls that are actually good people who have been like out, put out on their, their own due to, to, you know, the, con- the horrors of their conflict. Or um, look to Far From Home. Uh, yeah. Mysterio, yeah, they play him up as this good guy. And then they have the reveal that, no, he's the villain that he's always been. So Marvel, I think, or I should say Marvel Studios is aware of the expectations that they can play with when it comes to adapting these stories that people are so familiar with. That it just, I don't know, there's something that's that's just like there's a ping going off in me that is like, I don't know. I think they're being too on the nose with some of the clues that they've given us so far. So, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be really mm-hmm. interesting to see. On the kind of the topic of of the theories, uh, for lack of a better term, the other thing that stuck out to me about the end of episode two, um, in addition to going from black and white into color, and then also, of course, the is this really happening? And all of a sudden she's pregnant. And in the same episode where uh, we heard earlier on Agnes allude to school admissions and and Wanda goes, don't get ahead of yourself. And then Mm -hmm. we keep hearing that awful, (laughs) creepy (laughs) refrain of for the children. And it's almost like these ideas throughout that episode were put into Wanda's head, right? Slowly Uh and surely and more and more and more for the children, for the children. And then, oh, she's pregnant, right? 
So that that was interesting to me too, right? Like whether that's of her doing or someone else's doing, um, if this is a real pregnancy. I mean, clearly she was significantly pregnant within a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, obviously something is off, but it, it, that just kind of struck me that this idea of, of the messaging that she was kind of receiving throughout this episode of, mm-hmm. of, of fitting in and these small throwaway lines about the children and, and then the... It, it became more and more intense for the children, for the children. So creepy. Mm-hmm. Very creepy. That whole, that that episode in particular was very cult-like, like yes. on the For the Children part. And then in the, in, even into the opening credits where it was like, one division, one, one. Like everybody was like chanting it as yes. the credits was going. And it was just like, it's such a creepy feeling. Yes, and, hugely. Uh, to speak a little bit more, like you, like I love the way you put it, where it's almost like she's being influenced into these situations. Like I hadn't thought about it that way, but again, going back to that credits, well, hold on, let me back up real quick. At the end, when you were talking about how we see that she is pregnant, leading into that line, she goes, "You know what? I think the kids need. I think the kids need popcorn." Yeah. If you go back to that credits, she's mysteriously has popcorn in the credits for no apparent reason. Yeah. But Going with what you're saying about like how she's being influenced to this, I don't know. I think there might be more of a direct correlation between that than I was expecting, which going back to what we were talking about, how there's a subconscious level of influencing that we're seeing right. with the commercials, that's, that's again, a, a marriage of, of form and storytelling. Uh, God, you just made me excited. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? I know. Uh-huh. Thinking about these things, is it's, <laughs> it's so exciting. And having these conversations, it just like makes me... I don't know. I always walk away from talking with people about this kind of stuff, especially people like you, um, with mm-hmm. so many more thoughts on my mind. What else was I going to say about the children? Oh, I so I don't know about you, but when they were first, the the committee was meeting and they were talking about the talent show, I thought that it would be taking place like at a school and that there may be children in attendance. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that it was outside and there were not children in attendance, and it was just very strange, it just mm-hmm. also contributed to it feeling unsettling. I guess because everything sort of has this. Um, there's another word I'm look I'm looking for, but the the word that keeps coming to mind is like almost like we're viewing an aquarium. Like mm. it's just everything is so contained, and it could be because of the the like you said the the full screen. Uh, what is it? The four by four, <laughs> like very little viewing that we're getting. But there's sort of this like maybe because we're so at the start, like everything isn't flushed out yet. And so that's why we're only we're not seeing like an extended life with kids or anything. And uh, I think you're right about how creepy it is. I don't think I was able to put that to words, but I definitely felt that. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So when you first pitched this to me about doing this episode together, that was one of the things that you 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 know were like, hey, you know, we can talk about some of the things that are going to happen like theme wise. So I, I went into this because this was all before the episodes actually aired. Yeah. So I, I went in specifically looking for those themes. And I think the thing that I came out of, came away with is they're playing with that theme of paranoia so much within these first two episodes. Yeah. And it starts it starts small with things like you know, forgetting a, a significant date, you know, with uh, with your partner and wondering if either you know what it means or the paranoia of trying to impress your boss or uh, or even stuff like um, where Agnes and Wanda were having the conversations about like how to keep your man or how to please yeah, your woman with like that right. level of paranoia. And and then, then it goes even further in episode two. Uh, you mentioned Vision having that uh, communist line, you know, 
red is also a prominent theme in that episode, they're mm-hmm. invoking that feeling of the red scare. And so, or even, and like even go to what that whole meeting was supposed to be about, which was like security protocols, contact with law enforcement, like all right. these levels of fear. And it's just, to me, that was the connective tissue between these two episodes so far. Yeah, thanks for that. Right, that, that idea that at any moment, the again to use uh, Vision's word of the charade, right, or the mm-hmm. or the the facade, right, uh, the the scene. Some of the words that they're using, right, the illusion. At any moment, it could shatter, right. So that that paranoia mm-hmm. of my interpersonal relationship, right, like their their mm-hmm. marriage is his relationship to his boss, his job, right, like this, it could shatter mm-hmm. at any moment. Um, and of course, we're seeing that this reality seems very much like it could shatter at any moment. And we, of course, we mm-hmm. even get the glass shattering in in her hand i had not put together the communist line and the red scare mm-hmm. of course yeah. oh my god <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> well, that's that's great yeah because they have that they, i mean the red blood the red yeah. helicopter the big red gum yeah um like they they are playing so much into that and uh, and jude pointed out when we were talking about it by the end even though it's like full color everything has this red tint to it and so, right. of course, I think I think they're playing into that feeling of the Red Scare. But it, there's also a layer of it that, um, you know, the last time we saw Vision for real, he was solid gray. Yes. And so it's it's interesting that the first time that we see color in this show is the it's red him. on Vision's face. Yeah. That fear of losing something. And we know Wanda has lost a lot. Exactly. Man. There's so much already in just these two episodes. As we said, pretty short episodes. Um, And wow. Yeah, so much to dig into. And like, I... I don't know, like I, I, because I've seen some pushback online how people are like, oh, you know, that's boring. Nothing happens. It's like, oh, my God, how could you like there's every scene is like (laughs) dripping with details. How could you not? (laughs) So I feel like for the for the diehard fans, there's so much to unpack here. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I know my mom and dad watched this watch these two episodes the night that they came out and as you may have heard if you listen to their episode of my show my, my dad has uh-huh. seen these movies but uh in in more of a casual viewing way and, and my mom has only seen a couple of them and, and like she loved watching this because mm-hmm. it evoked all of the types of shows that she grew up with and so she loved the humor in it and um just the feel of it in general and there are other people i've talked to who are maybe more casual relationship to whether it be MCU or superhero movies or comic books or anything like that and and are intrigued by the premise of this show. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see too how both um, both the people who've been chomping at the bit for this show to come out and the people who are turning on Disney Plus and going, oh, maybe I'll check this out, right? Um, kind of right. seeing how those yeah. fan reactions uh, develop. So anyway, I'm with you. I don't I don't see uh, I don't see the perspective of it being boring, but I guess to each their own, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like to circle back to to the original question about the switching of format. You know, we just saw Marvel tackle the last 10 years strictly with movies. Right. And if Marvel's going to go another 10 years with the successful track record they have, they had to shake it up. And it's so impressive to me, the reach that this show has had. Yeah. And it's a commitment to Marvel Studios having the courage to break outside of its norm and try something new. And it, it, so far, it really sees, seems like they're reaping the rewards of it based off the collective conversation online. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, it's going to be really it's exciting ex- to see. All right. So, Trey, thank you so much again for joining me to talk about the two-episode premiere of WandaVision. Before yeah. we wrap up, remind our listeners once again where they can find your show. And again, thank you so much for having on. This was this was so much fun. Yeah, if you, if you uh, want to see more of what I do, and, and specifically with my uh, co-host Jude, we are at MC Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram, and we have our podcast that airs every Monday with new episodes. Uh, just search MC Need to Know uh, on your podcast platform or visit uh, com. Thanks again, Trey. And I look forward to speaking with you again, both offline and maybe on a recorder again in the future and Jude as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think especially, you know, maybe since I, I spoke with you after the first two episodes, it might be fun to come back yeah. and, and talk at the end of all of this again and, and, and circle back to some of these, these ideas that we had at the beginning. That'll be a lot of fun. And we broke the seals. So like now that we've recorded together, we can text uh, offline to about yes. our reaction to the episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, okay, now we can also be in touch. Uh, I'm, I'm going to listen to your episodes and that you did on the first two. And uh, I think it'll be fun. If you enjoyed this discussion about the first two episodes of WandaVision, well, stay tuned because each week I'm going to be releasing my take on the latest episode on Thursdays. And I will be joined by a new guest or guests each week as we delve into the characters and themes of WandaVision. As always, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can find on Instagram at bpenderillustrations, and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and 